Reed, it's that time of year in Minnesota. We are in the midst of the great Minnesota get-together, a.k.a. the Minnesota State Fair. We are known for the craziest food out there. And quite frankly, there are like four major food groups when you think about State Fair food. One is anything related to cheese curds. I can see that. Second thing is anything that's deep fried. The third is anything to do with a pickle. Okay. And the fourth is some crazy alcoholic beverage. I'm just not one to eat food in that environment anyway. You don't like like eating greasy food with your hands as you're walking through crowds of thousands of people? I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the health department is super strict on these folks in their trailers and stuff. You know, you're pretty safe on like a fountain drink. But other than that, there's really no upside. You know, just stay hydrated and get out of there. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode number 346 of Touchpoint. I am Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. Hey, don't mind me, Reed, here. I'm over here eating some deep-fried pickles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some sort of a basket weave of bacon around it or something, or... I think everything in Minnesota is typically at the State Fair is served on a stick, so... Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. Uh, well, thanks, everybody, for joining. Hopefully, you, too, went to your local State Fair, or local-ish State Fair, depending on where you live within the state, I guess. Thank you for taking time out from the Ferris wheel to join us for another episode. <laughs> Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. That's where you can go to find out a little bit more about the show. You can find out more about Chris and myself, what all we've touched on and talked about, and even sign up for the TPS report. TPS report email comes out every Monday morning with five articles to start your week. We hope you will do that. A little value add for you, the listener. So we'll pause here again, touchpoint.health. Let you go sign up and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, we have talked about digital transformation, digital experience, a lot of different things digital uh, on this show before. The one thing that we 
tend to sometimes forget as we think about implementing all these different tools and different strategies and et cetera to kind of support the overall experience, support how we engage with our audiences, is the underlying need for data. So today we're going to do a deep dive into data and how data is important, particularly in healthcare. It is extremely valuable, obviously, and we've talked a lot about and always made comments to the effect of the more information that you have in one place, the more valuable it becomes or data rich and insight poor. You know, you've heard all of these types of things. And so, yeah, um, I think this will be an interesting conversation. You'll hear a lot of buzz terms (laughs) uh, (laughs) and words that, uh, you know, we've probably mentioned over the last few years, but should be interesting. This is uh, something I've been spending a lot of time with as of late, trying to kind of think through. Yeah, I think it's important for us to kind of think about this as well, because if you don't have the ability to act on all the data that you're collecting, then you might as well be, as we said, right, data rich and insight poor. In this particular case, we're going to take the concept of digital transformation, digital innovation, and also digital experience and talk a little bit about how it's so important and how it's evolving in our industry significantly. And we'll start first with an article as sort of background to help us from Health Tech Magazine. I think we've referred to them before on the show, haven't we? Health Tech Magazine? I'm sure we have. The title of the article is, Is Your Healthcare Organization Ready for the Next Step in Digital Transformation? They start off by saying that digital solutions have driven change within our industry pretty significantly over the last you know 10 years, but I would say accelerated since the pandemic. Because we are using more and more digital as part of the overall patient care experience, as well as in business operations. And as this evolution of technology has transformed us, it really affects the way we have to interact with all the different stakeholders that we have and the information that they're trying to seek from the implementation of these digital tools. So we're still transforming? Is that what... (laughs) What I'm taking away here, we're still we're, we're still transforming. transforming. <laughs> well, they, they say in here they they kind of key in on this idea that the evolution that IT being more fully integrated to, into the journey or to into patient care and operations is one of those big key changes to support this shift. They say IT teams must be more aware of the users' needs than they have before, and this is where they then pivot most of the article to talk about how data is so important to meet these needs. First of all, think about the the different use cases of data, right? And data can help us improve decision-making, which is a critical advantage for a lot of our organizations. Making better use of data that we have on hand can lead us to make better decisions on a variety of issues, from patient care to staffing department needs, et cetera. They even quote uh, someone from this article. His name is Tom Stafford. And he is a director at CDW, and he indicates that hospitals are actually making better decisions and improving care through data, but also making workflows and processes within the hospital more efficient. And they're measuring them with data now and correcting them accordingly and almost real time. Several call-outs in here that I don't know that's going to be controversial, right? But it's just something that you have to continue to double down on. And what we're talking about here is decision-making in a lot of cases, right? So they say in here that data is essential to improving care for patients by making sure clinicians and other healthcare personnel have access to accurate, necessary data. 
Well, yeah. I mean, that that's, again, how, how else are they talking here about long-term and even acute care, even emergent, having that information real-time and accessible, you know, even be able to see trends and things like that, I think, give people the comfort or the decision-making capabilities that sometimes, you know, every, every second counts kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And we know, working on the digital solutions that we do in health systems, that there are so many different data sources available now, and sometimes disparate systems. And they say that new data sources that are being introduced in the healthcare industry are proposing a bit of a challenge because of this decentralized nature. Another person from CDW, a strategist named Lee Pierce, says to fully take advantage of the resource organizations must establish data governance to provide a framework for handling data. Oh, boy. Oh, there we go. Our favorite terms, right? Data governance. There you go. We're going we're gonna to hit on some data hygiene here in a second, I bet. <laughs> so, no, but it, it is important to understand, okay, well, where's all the information coming from? How are we getting it? And actually having a process or an owner or a way in which you make decisions and, and incorporate this information, right? And so a governance structure, just like you would a project plan for anything else that you're rolling out or trying to manage, is super important. And the more technology that we introduce as well, this newer technology is based on cloud-based systems. We're seeing health systems in the IT, IS departments, and also in our marketing and experience departments. A lot of this data is going out in the cloud or to these various disparate sources. And this is where it becomes re- really a, a big challenge and an opportunity. One tool they put forward they say that that can help us make effective use of the data is what they call a modern data platform. And this tool enables flexibility and scalability while integrating multiple data streams into one useful pool. This is the ever-elusive data lake or data warehouse or whatever we want to call it. Here's something that I want to make sure we call out is, is, you know, the why around some of this. They kind of wrap up some of this article talking about, you know, that data is clearly becoming more important. It's, you know, it's influencing and allowing us to uh, kind of address the consumer experience. And we're going to get into talking about this idea of a chief data officer, kind of whatever that equivalent is. But before we before we take a break and, and kind of dive into that topic, I think the reason is, you know, again, if you kind of rewind the tape a little bit here, the amount of information that we have available to us has grown exponentially over the years and will continue. You know, back when we first started doing this, you had very little information to pull. If I just look at it, let's just take about, let's just talk about advertising. Well, we can become much more personalized and build experiences and target and all of that stuff in a much different way than we could 20 years ago. And even from a clinician standpoint, like the literature that they have access to. We talk about chat GPT and how you're pulling down information and making decisions and assessing and ingesting all of this information. All of a sudden now with remote patient monitoring and wearables and all of these things, I like a good example is, is we're working with a company called BioIntelliSense. It's a little sticker. It takes, you know, vital signs, mm-hmm. automated collection of vital signs. In essence, you know, when you start talking about taking patients' vital signs in the inpatient environment, we were running nurses four to six times a day down to somebody's room to manually take these vital signs, right? And then plug them into the EHR. Well, now it's taking those vital signs 1,440 times a day. 
well, where do you put all that information? Like, what do you do with it? Do you need to take them that many times? How do you make decisions off of that? So that's where you kind of get into this this idea of governance, right? And somebody that has to be kind of a data czar, if you will, to figure out, well, what is our point of view around this? And then ultimately the strategy. Yeah. And that kind of leads to the next thing we'll talk about after the break, which is this evolving role of this data czar, or in some cases, the title of chief data officer, and how that has evolved over time. Because we've always had a measurement and analytics department that have processed data, but because of the way we're moving to collecting more and more more of this, we're seeing that role of the data czar or the data officer change. So let's take a brief pause here, Reed. When we come back, we'll talk about how that role has changed over the years. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so let's jump in now and talk a little bit about the person in charge. (laughs) (laughs) The CDO, the data czar, whatever we want to call this individual. We've actually got an article we'll link to from CDO Magazine. So obviously, you know, chief data officers, how it's referenced here in this article. It's titled, It's Time for a Third Generation of the Chief Data Officer. So there apparently were already two <laughs> generations. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking that to mean. But I think this is interesting to kind of think through, you know, how do you govern and and kind of focus on and lead this part of the This isn't just, you know, kind of parts and pieces of other people's jobs. They even say that this kind of role of a chief data officer was created by many companies a decade or more ago. I personally have not met a CDO per se, but I know that there are people that are responsible for data. But the primary responsibilities have expanded over the last decade. And they really get into how it's, it gets beyond defining standards and even data governance. But despite this evolution, many organizations haven't achieved business value from their data investments. And this article kind of points to the fact that it may be because of the first two iterations, the first two generations of the CDO haven't really focused a lot on business value. So let's jump back and let's kind of roll back the the clock a little bit and let's talk about the different generations of the CDO. Well, they they call it in here back in 2010, which uh, is an aside, feels like year before last yeah, or something in some respects. But I mean, that's like a million years ago, especially when you start talking about data or technology. 2010, first generation of the CDO, primarily driven by regulatory considerations, they say. So, you know, led the focus on defining policies, standards, monitoring compliance, those types of things. Yeah, they focus a lot on risk management rather than business value because of that. While this is necessary and often critical, it really placed additional obligations and costs on business operations. 
because you were regulated, and of course with us, with HIPAA and all of the other regulations that we have in our industry, this is significant, profound. So what we had to do as health systems, we had to move to comply to these standards, and it required a level of investment necessary to to meet that compliance. So unsurprisingly, they said, once it was deemed that the new policy requirements have been satisfied, that role of the CDO had to change. And that leads to the second generation. So somewhere in the 2015 uh, and 2020 timeframe, so I guess kind of the run up right up to the pandemic, maybe, they say often under new leadership, imagine that, the focus uh, was on data infrastructure. So they implemented data cataloging software. I like that. I'm going to make a note there. I feel like we need a data catalog around here. (laughs) It made significant investments in things like data lakes, you know, kind of the enterprise level technology to clean up and create these data environments. So this is where the whole data rich insight poor thing came from probably, right? Like you just have a sea of information uh, but no real insights. So they say in here that you know those messy environments, if you will, were preventing compliance with some of the regulatory and reporting requirements and made it difficult to use data to improve things like revenue and reduce cost or accomplish more strategic or expansive business goals. And again, that whole concept of data to prove value to the business was elusive. So this leads to the third generation of the CDO, which you know, no surprise there, this article implies that we're on now the precipice of that third generation of the chief data officer. And the focus here is firmly on delivering business value. CDOs and their teams have realized that the approach of their predecessors was not sustainable, and they're quickly adapting their function to embrace an alternative strategy with three key objectives. So let's talk about those objectives, Reed. First one they call out is leave the data with the business. So rather than attempting to centralize all the data in a single infrastructure, which is what we're focused on prior, that some of these leading organizations are instead looking at federated environments and processes where accountability for maintaining and managing the data uh, remains with the businesses that created it. And that makes a lot of sense because there's so many different data sources out there. Allow those local systems to work. The second principle that they're focusing in on is enterprise business value. So change from a focus on monitoring data policies. They're not saying to get rid of data governance. You need that. It remains as important, if not more important, than even 10 years ago or back in 2010. But you want to work to where one where specialized strategists and analysts prioritize and identifying and enabling business-focused use cases at an enterprise level that can drive business value. For the people listening in that are not data-focused, what we're talking about here is rather than trying to standardize all data and, and regulate all of the data, let the local data work for the local business and then focus on ways you can sync data out of these disparate sources that can support enterprise value. Well, that third step is, is the measurement piece. So measure returns at every step. 
they say that the CDO now needs to be focused directly on measuring the impact of everything data teams spend. So by tightly partnering with businesses for strategy and implementation, anchoring that investment in business cases that are focused on achieving goals. It's not that the regulatory or compliance stuff is not part of this anymore, but it's creating you know methodology that allows that to be solved for but being more proactive, I guess, and focused on business outcomes and goals, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And that also reinforces the role of the CDO as providing best practices around finding value from your data. So I recall at One Health System I was working at, we were creating a business case for a marketing CRM. And I worked with the data and analytics team in IT to ensure that they understood what my business goals were so they can help to define and suss out all that data from all the disparate systems and deliver it to me in a way that I can leverage my marketing CRM. This applies across multiple different opportunities, like what data is important to feed to the EMR or pull out from the EMR to you know support other types of use cases and when you want to understand which patients are, are lapsing, which patients are potentially at risk for leakage. All of this becomes now an important piece around experience initiatives. It does. I don't know how you really focus or do your job without data at this point. So I think, you know, we have to be part of that governance process. I think, you know, whether or not your organization has a CDO or not, it probably does broadly functionally reside with someone, whether it's formalized or not, CIO, CMIO, I don't know. I had different folks, I guess, could, could have some ownership here. But yeah, I don't know how you do your job without it. That's absolutely true. And so while this, you know, while we're going very deep into data and how data is used within uh, organizations, I think the important that's the most important piece that you you highlighted there, Reed. We gotta have access to this data and we, we need to find the valuable insights so that we can understand what we're doing and how we're doing to support our success. It goes back to our initial conversations around understanding your strategy and what you're trying to measure before you actually implement the solution. So this all kind of culminates into this concept of how we can use digital to help transform the way we do our work. If it's experience, if it's innovation, if it's just basically, you know, infrastructure transformation efforts, you know, how important is the role of data in all of this? And we'll talk about that right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, we're on a deep topic. So we appreciate everybody kind of hanging on here for the third section where we're going to talk about four myths of digital transformation and how you can debunk them by modernizing at the data layer. It all comes back to data, doesn't it? All roads lead back. (laughs) And this article actually comes to us from Forbes. You know it's important if Forbes writes an article about this. Yeah, our friends. 
friends over there at Forbes. They start off the article by saying that too many digital transformation efforts, and they call them DX efforts. I think we should start another list of acronyms that end with X. Because we have CX, we have PX, we have now DX, digital transformation. DX efforts fail to live up to expectations for the same hidden reason. In the rush to modernize our technology, DX leaders overlook the critical step of transforming the underlying data. Okay. I do like all the X. I, maybe that's why Twitter changed its name. You never know. I mean, it's just, it's all, all about X's these days. So, <laughs> yeah. So it says in here that it's an oversight that leads to an underpowered solutions and self limiting myths about how tomorrow's transformations should somehow be based on yesterday's non agile data management systems. You never thought agile would re- crawl its way into digital yeah. management, right? <laughs> or to data management. They say that fortunately, CIOs and their teams are learning how to navigate an expanding range of available methodologies and tools that break down information silos for a more unified view of data. That's good. But when we talk about digital transformation, it's such a major undertaking for any enterprise. These transformation teams sometimes hold themselves back by falling for for myths about the constraints of data. Oh, man. This will be good. All right, myth number one, these are constraints, offer myths about the constraints of data. All right, myth number one, data must be clean and consolidated before you start. Oh, that's interesting. So this isn't here that many organizations mistakenly assume that you have to conduct data cleansing. I knew it. I knew that was going to come in (laughs) at some point. Data hygiene right there. So uh, you have to have to conduct data cleansing and format everything into a pristine state before any designer architecting can be done. This belief certainly, as you might imagine, can delay transformation by years in all capital letters, years. So there you go. So what's the truth behind that myth? Well, they at least call out in here that activities can happen concurrently. So they're not saying like, no, you don't need to clean it all up. But that you don't need to wait on that to start, I think, is the, is, the, uh, is the myth. And I have fallen privy to that myth before. Like, we need to clean up all of our data before we can actually suck it into the CRM. Fortunately, the organizations I was working with, the data people, helped us to overcome that myth. The data people said, well, let's pull together the data we have and dr- dump it into a data file and then review it and do some data hygiene and cleansing at that point. What we found is that, yeah, you could do it concurrently. Okay, here's myth number two. Legacy applications and technologies prevent true modernization. They say here that transformation teams often assume that legacy applications can't be modernized and that legacy data will forever suffer from poor visibility and retrieval across multiple uncoordinated systems. Most believe, incorrectly, mind you, that rip and replace is the only method to achieve a return on investment with your data transformation or your digital transformation. Here's the myth busting. The right approach to accessing legacy data can make building modern applications much more strategic and agile. So what they're saying is, is this legacy data is just fine. As long as you can get it out of the systems, you just have to learn how to leverage the right type of data to help build those modern applications. So you don't have to get rid of that old piece of software that only works on Internet Explorer. 
right? <laughs> you can still use it as long as you can get data, data out mean, of it. I mean, again, I would still do the rip and replace, I think. Um, but anyway, that's... Myth number three, all architecture decisions must be made in advance. So even when transformation teams have good ideas, how they want their data to be consolidated, they might assume, they say, that their application infrastructure is not modernized enough to take advantage of those anticipated changes. So reality is a conundrum that can be quickly solved by processing data where it resides versus having to load it into a particular application for analysis. I, I can kind of see a theme building here. Well, anyway, l- let's hit the let's hit the last one, and then I've I've got a thought here. <laughs> okay, kind of how this all rolls up, but yeah. Okay, last myth. Myth number four: Ensuring compliance is a complex chore. Organizations struggling with siloed applications and data will, by extension, struggle with siloed and uncoordinated compliance information. And this makes compliance feel like an extra step that slows down all DX efforts that are are going on. But the reality, as this article points out, is that advanced data management techniques can integrate compliance seamlessly into the processes and workflows across the businesses. So you can actually, at the same time while you're using this data, you can start to implement data management techniques in a distributed sort of way. I like it. I like it. I think what I'm seeing here is this is, these myths are all based on perfection to some extent, right? So this is that whole, you know, when is good enough? Good enough. Perfection is enemy of good. Things that we've talked about, not just, I don't know, a handful of episodes ago, probably. So again, I think it's like, you know, how do you look for ways to continue to better the process, the data, the architecture, you know, all that stuff while, you know, still making progress or leaps forward. Yeah, I see that too. And I, the other theme I'm seeing is keep data where data's at and just clean mm-hmm. it there at that level and then find ways to pull out the relevant data so you can do the enterprise-wide uh, analysis that you need to. So we cannot end this article without talking about a range of more agile data frameworks that are out there that have evolved to exploit the potential, as they say, of modern cloud deployments and the flexibility of API-driven app-centric DevOps that happen in the cloud. So these are the different data frameworks that we're going to be using to make this all a reality. Reed, why don't you read the first one here? Oh, man. This is, uh, you're probably wondering what you're seeing, and that's me getting out over my skis is what's happening here. (laughs) First one is data lakes. Uh, So data lake lets you load first and determine the data's relevance and business potential later through various analytical processes. So the trade-off or limitation, they say, is that a data lake still does involve loading the data somewhere, someplace, and that the post-load analysis is still coding intensive and requires, they say often, highly paid data scientists. So this is, hey, where do we put a bunch of information and then go in and do the analysis on top of that? Well, luckily, data lakes are not the only data framework that could be leveraged at this point in time. There's also data meshes, Read. Of course. So what is a data mesh? What is that? (laughs) This approach actually eliminates the need to load or move data by instead connecting to the sources of the data directly. 
using APIs or whatever, the result is more flexibility and more ability to innovate with cloud-native DevOps. But there's a trade-off by doing this because that's a very sophisticated data engineering need. You still need to create special data scripts to run in this data mesh architecture because you have to interface with different data sources that have different structure of data. Third one that they call out here, data fabrics. So we went from lakes to meshes to fabrics. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So essentially a data mesh with an added abstraction layer that virtualizes all data into a centralized platform. So the trade-off is that suddenly visibility can be daunting for digital experience teams newly tasked with untangling all the previously unseen dependencies, vulnerabilities, governance issues, and compliance or security gaps that suddenly appear. I guess there's pros and cons to using these three different approaches, right? As always, with any organization that you're in, and particularly with health systems, we are unique in that we have a unique Frankenstein of technologies out there, and we have unique data sources spread over multiple different systems. Depending on where your organization is at, you may go down the data lakes approach, you may go down the data meshes approach, or you might find that fabric kind of hybrid layer, depending on how you want to accomplish this. What I will say is, in all the work that I've done, it helps to have a very strong business case articulated prior to beginning the work of data integration in order to get this working. And oftentimes, it starts small and then aggregates to a much larger extent. So you're not going to create your enterprise data lake overnight right? You might want to start tying two or three systems together in order to get some insight and analysis and then expand from there. I'm just excited to add abstraction layer to a job description somewhere. <laughs> that's my takeaway here. I No, I think that's exactly right. I think, you know, the, the takeaway here for me is, you know, how do you continue to move forward? We talked a little bit about Agile earlier. You know, how do you continue down this path to create value for the organization all the while through iterations, bettering the process, in this case, data? I think data lakes are probably going to be the most common that you're seeing, mm-hmm. probably where your organization is to some extent. Mm-hmm. So then, okay, well, then how do you solve for that, right? Like, how do you bring in that analysis over the top? So, yeah, I mean, go have conversations, figure out where your organization is. How do you participate? How can you start adding to or becoming part of the governance process, all things that you can start digging into. Yeah. And regardless what department you're in, if you need data to drive your business, A, you probably should have an internal person within your department or organization that is focused on identifying your data needs and how to articulate that to uh, these data architects or data scientists or whoever they are at your organization. And secondly, involve any centralized data and analytics team in the work that you're doing to at least provide them insight into what you're trying to accomplish and where you're getting your data from. Because you know, when you turn the corner here, the end all solution is you want to create this utopian one big data lake of all the data normalized, but I don't think we're going to ever achieve that. So the more you can expose what you're doing to others, I think you're going to provide more business value to not only yourself, but to the overall organization. And that concludes our deep dive into data. How do you feel, Reed? I feel more educated than I did before. (laughs) Well, good. I hope those people listening in agree. And with that, why don't we take a brief last pause here, and then we'll be back to close out the show. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Well, another good episode. Always a uh, topic worthy of spending some time on. Appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. A quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Sign up for the TPS report while you're over there. Would love to hear from you. Reach out to us. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to, to do that. There's topics, people, et cetera, different things that we should add. Uh, bring in as part of the show, let us know. Uh, it's always good to have some little bit of feedback and hear from folks. And so certainly always appreciate that. Before we wrap up the show, uh, what recommendation do you have today? Reed, I'm going to recommend something that I use in my garden. We have a small house, my wife and I and my little son, but we have a really extensive backyard garden and as well as front. Our backyard is kind of all outfitted with a sprinkler system to kind of automatically the water, all the plants and all the foliage that we have back there, including our, our garden, in which we grow vegetables. But our front yard is not. And so I have to be that person that drags around a hose to water different parts of our front yard. Sometimes I have to use a a large sprinkler system to kind of keep the grass in the front green. Sometimes I have a little sprinkler to use to add water to uh, trees that I've planted. And other times I have a little nozzle spray to water our plants. Uh, So I just recently invested in a quick connect solid brass garden hose connecting system. Wow. Okay. Using a standard three-quarter inch GHT, which is a universal connector for hoses. Didn't know there was universal connectors for hoses. These are little brass hose fittings that you put the male end on the side of the attachment of whatever it is that you're you're trying to connect to, be it your sprinkler system, the nozzle, or whatever it might be. And then you have the quick connect female plug that goes on the edge of the hose. And then what you could do is you could very quickly quick release it off of the sprinkler and quickly reconnect it to whatever the next uh, device is. And you could do this, by the way, without turning off the water. Okay. So it has made the f- me the task of me watering my front yard and all the plants associated with my front yard that much sooner. And it's kind of cool because, you know, I'll just walk up, disconnect, reconnect that quickly. It's a, nice. it's something that someone recommended to me. And I have to say, it's it's if you spend time in the garden, Definitely should invest in this. By the way, there's a ton of them available at your local hardware store. That's where I got mine. I actually happen to look them up on Amazon. Just just Google for uh, Quick Connect Garden Hose Connectors or Quick Connect Garden Hose Fitters, and you can find a whole bunch that's out there. Just make sure that when you're purchasing them, you purchase the right male to female ratio. Because in my case, I needed three males and one female because I had one hose and three different devices. You just have to make sure you get the right balance, right? Because you don't want to be left without one. So that's my recommendation. There you go. Very cool. Very cool. I like it. I always find those little gadgets and things like that. All right. I'm going to recommend an app, an iOS app called Notability. Great for the iPad. You know, I've always kind of played around with the pencil and like, you know, handwritten notes and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Notability, 
allows you to, you know, create simple notebooks and just, you know, start writing and taking notes and all that kind of stuff. Pretty straightforward, but you can obviously now also record information. You can import like PDF documents and things like that and actually write on them. Again, I wouldn't use it for like, you know, oh, I'm going to sign these documents. Like, it's not really for that. But like, if somebody had a presentation, you could pull it in there and then just make notes on it, you know, like throughout the presentation or something like that versus just taking straight notes. Lots of templates with like, uh, you know, dotted pages or there's even some things for like composers or it's just like sheets of music where you could fill in notes and things like that, like day planner type templates and, and that kind of fun stuff. You change the color of the sheets or lined, et cetera. So it does have some handwriting recognition. It does have um, some things that you can do around math if anybody's super excited about that. But anyway, there's also some audio transcription stuff that's coming soon. So wow. anyway, it's one of the better... I've tried a lot of these different kind of works with the Apple Pencil kind of apps. And this is the one that, that I can consistently use. And it's real simple controls to flip back and forth between like the pen and the eraser and the highlighter and a selection tool where you can like move stuff around on the page if you needed to, et cetera. So it's sophisticated enough, but, but still super straightforward and, and easy to, to just use without a lot of instruction. So that's my recommendation. Notability. Very yeah. cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So tons and tons of like templates you can choose from, including even like, you know, color by number and all that kind of fun stuff. So oh, if you wow. want to be able to like doodle and, you know, those types of things. So, yeah. Wow. That's really cool. What a great recommendation. I have to try that out. All right. Well, uh, thanks one and all for joining us for another week of Touchpoint. Uh, we certainly appreciate all the feedback and all the support. Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you happen to be listening is the best way you can support Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.